0: This is Bella Ray. The photograph here is Bella Ray. And you're gonna meet Bella Ray later. She was the superstar. She was the great star of women's football. She would have been a mega star today, I have no doubt about that. Um, But before we come on to um, women's football, we have to put a bit of social context into it. Because it's important to know why women's football arose and why it's, suffered after the the start of the First World War. Now I just, again, we can look at this. This is for, this is a photograph from the 1960s. Was there any of you young ladies here wore these, shirt, uh, these shirts, these skirts? <laughs> any of you, who, hands up any of the women? Ah, we've got one, we've got another one. We've got, we've got somebody at the back who, uh, who, who probably wasn't even being born in the 60s. Um, yeah, no, I sometimes ask that question. I got a few men putting their hands up as well. But this was women in the 1960s. It was revolutionary, and I'll use that term a number of times when, I, when I'm talking about this, because that was revolutionary. But up, to, up to that period, <laughs> women wore the clothes that their mother wore, or the similar style. They had the same hairstyle as the women, and they, they were mini-me's, if you like. This was revolutionary in the 60s. It was women breaking away of women's liberation, etc., And obviously showing their knees and things like that that was it turned heads and it was their way of of showing things were a bit different this is a photograph from 1906 it's the suffragettes and even these women when they were campaigning and and many very very radical they were were direct action etc you can't see it very well here but if you look uh, the dress here came down to their ankles Again, that was, uh, that was the, the, the norm of the time. Remember, in the Victorian period, um, the, the uh, piano, chair, piano legs were covered up for fear of uh, stirring men's carnal lust and desire. <laughs> so they still had to down their ankles. This is a photograph taken probably in either 1917 or 1918, probably 1918. It's of Jenny Morgan. She played for Black Spartans Ladies. To us, it looks absolutely normal, a normal photograph. But back in the day, again, this was a shocker. Look at the knees. This was, after, this was after the, the norms of Victoriana. You could see women's knees. And that was the difference. This was the huge difference of women's football. Women started coming in, especially in the First World War, started coming more into society. And it's these societal things that I wanna, that I wanna touch on a bit, but also the history of, uh, of football. Now, prior to the Industrial Revolution, Football barely existed. It existed in certain ways, but not the football that we know of uh, that we know of today. It was only through the likes of the industrial, uh, uh, the industrial revolution, the Factory Act of, uh, of 1850. So after this, after the after the revolutionary movements on the continent in 1840, uh, 1848, that the bosses brought in because of the pressure from below the Factory Act of 1850, and it meant that factory's closed at two o'clock and that's why you have football at three o'clock in the afternoon uh, these days so if you've learned nothing today you've 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 learned about that and the emerging steps of football back in the in the victorian era came about as i say as a result of the uh, industrial revolution you had the advent of railways which meant you could travel between towns so so it started to get more and more competitive between towns and cities. And it was a a sense of civic pride. People started looking to their own area, their own football, their own football teams. Now, prior to football, it wasn't until the 1870s, 1880s that football actually became the sport of the working class. It was never in control of the working class. It's always been the sport of the working class because it was cheap. And you could kick up some rags around or a pig's bladder and you could put um, jumpers for gold poles, so to speak. But it was never the sport. This was the sport of the working class: rowing. And this is a guy called Harry Clasper. He was a Durham miner, and he um, he invented the sport of rowing that we know today. He was an illiterate Durham miner, and he invented the um, you, you know the boats that you, the skulls that you see being rowed. In the, by Oxbridge and in the universities, and also the Olympics, that was Harry Clasper. Uh, he, he he was our champion. He was the champion of the North. He was the champion of the Thames, the Tyne, etc. When Harry died, uh, in in 1870, um, 130,000 people turned out for his funeral in Newcastle. 130,000. The population of Newcastle at the time was 112,000. So you could see how how the roars at that time were huge, huge heroes. Have you ever heard the song, uh, The Bladen Racers? You you, you would have probably sung it, wouldn't you? Well, that was by Jordy Ridley. And Jordy Ridley was a big superstar uh, in the the music halls and around here in the the mid uh, 19th century, but he wasn't the star of his family. The star of his family was a guy called Joseph, his younger brother, and Joseph was again another working-class sport. He was a walker. He was the uh, 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 the mile walker. He was the champion of Britain mile walker. Um, so, what we're seeing back then was the emergence of football. You had different strands of football. All different rules. It was predominantly played in the public school, by the public school boys. And then in 1848 or so, you you had the, the, as I say, the revolutions in Europe. And in order to control things, you had the middle classes started bringing football. And you got the development of the Football Association, which was established in 1863 in London, in order to coordinate Football throughout the whole of the uh, th- throughout the whole of the whole of the country. And you see here the first team that was formed that we know of was 1862, Nottingham County, Notts County. And then the next team was Stroke Ramblers who became uh, Stoke City. Now I often wonder Nottingham County lads would turn up a year before Stoke came into being, and they must have turned up and said, oh well, nobody's turned up, Let's go gone. Yeah, lads, right? Uh, So other teams formed as well in this uh, initial period, as you can see here, Wrexham, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield Wednesday. In 1885, professional football was legalised. Back then, as like a lot of the sport, it was done by gentlemen. I mean, even the the ruling class, uh, the privileged class, even had... um, People to run for them when they played cricket. You know, they hit the ball and their servants would run. Right. So you know, the, so it was a huge step when football became uh, legalised and you could have professional professional footballers. And then, as I said, during that first uh, the first season um, of 1863, there were twelve clubs and it started to expand. So you see, in the beginnings of what we would understand as uh, as football with the establishment of the the, the football association now as I say uh, football rather than uh, um, rowing became the sport of the working class it was exciting it's an exciting game to play it's an exciting game to watch and it's inexpensive so what we got the, the development of men's football you got the development of men's football at the time, so by the end of the century, you got the likes of uh, Sunderland, who were formed in uh, 1879, and Roker Park was established in 1898. Newcastle, again, the, the uh, 1892 St James's Park was formed in 1899. But these were <coughs> stadia for 30,000 people. Again, it was a huge development. Obviously, hundreds of thousands would watch their own, but they would just go on the banks of the the Tyne, the Weir, uh, the, the the Tees, etc., the Thames. But this was now confined, and it became a, 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 a football became. Again, what we what we start knowing about people talked about football. They went back into the workplaces during the day uh, after on the on Wednesdays, uh, Monday after the game, and started talking about football. And we were looking, and it became a passion, a real passion for the working class. Now, simultaneously, you got the growth of women's football as well, and this is the, uh, the the first the first game that we've got any reference to. Remember, it's working class history. It's Unless it's kings and queens, it's not documented, and therefore it's quite difficult to patch things uh, and uh, and to try and draw out the um, to, try to draw out the, the, the what 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 actually happened. But the first game that we think we know of of women's football was held in Inverness in uh, 1888 but this is Honey honey Nettie Ball right Uh, that Nettie Honey Ball Honey Nettie Ball? Um, Nettie Honey Ball, great name, do you call toilets Netties in this area? Yeah Yeah. Uh, well Nettie great name she wasn't a Geordie by the way she was uh, in fact she didn't even exist because um, from what from what I could see but they used the name Nettie Honey Ball and this was the British Ladies Football Club And they toured in 1895 and 1896 and they did exhibition matches throughout the country. They were predominantly middle class, uh, but 8,000 people turned up to St. James's Park to watch a game of of, of women, an exhibition game. And they did that throughout the country. And that, that lasted a few years, but it didn't have a social base because the women here um, were predominantly, as I say, middle class. It hadn't touched working class women, and I'll touch on the reason why uh, the, the reason why shortly when we come onto the come onto the First World War. But the Football Association did little to encourage women's football. In 1892, they banned mixed sex games um, for girls over the age of 11. That ban was only unbanned in 19. 19- Uh, 90 sorry 20 uh, 2014 2015 disgraced the way that the FA have actually treated women in, in, in women's football now again you've got the development of men's football and the stifling if you like of women's football but it was this that happened and this turned things around on August the 4th 1914 the First World War started and I mean we haven't got time to go into the uh, into the first world war that's a, a, a talk on itself but you've got this rise of jingoism you've got the talk that it would be over by christmas and you've got the lack absolute lack of preparation by the people at the top similar like to covid by the way but you have got that you've got corruption etc all of those all of those things. And it was modern warfare. It wasn't like, um, you know, the Boer War where you get expend men. Unfortunately, the tactics of the, the First World War was like that just trying to storm the barricade so to speak it was modern warfare it needed modern modern artillery modern shells in order to uh, in order to to win that and we got the term you must have heard of it lions led by donkeys you uh, you know and that was that really summed the situation situation up because this the, the war started on august the 4th and this happened what, what was that? Eight or nine months later, on May, you had a shell crisis. Shells weren't exploding, and British soldiers were dying as a result of it. They were, they were having attacks, um, and 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 the sh- the shells that were preparing the way for them to go over over the uh, over No Man's Land, etc., weren't exploding, and people were dying as a result of the of, as a result of the private the the, the, the privateers, if you like in the armaments industry making profits as, a, as opposed to looking for the inverted commas national interest what happened was the uh, government fell and lloyd george came in uh, and he he took over as a minister of armaments and it was completely transformed the economy they nationalized the economy by the way 70 percent of the economy was Orientated towards the armaments industry and towards war, and as a consequence of that, remember in, in 1915 men weren't conscripted; they only volunteered to uh, they only volunteered to join up. So what you got was um, so as some as some men moved into the, into um, into the army, women like Vickers Vickers Armstrongs in Newcastle. The uh, men moved in, signed up to the army, 2,000 men in 1914. Women slowly, in a trickle, started moving into the workplaces. They, 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 became t- they took over men's jobs. Now, as a result of the Shell Crisis of 1915, as I say, Lloyd George took over, changed everything started moving started appealing for women to come in and do their bit again if you look at this poster it reinforces the stereotypical nature of victorian and edwardian society the man is going out to fight i going out to work the woman is staying at home and that was the nature Women at that time, in particular working-class women, were baby machines. They were there to look after the men folk, to rear the next generation of workers. And it, so that was the poster that was prevalent in 19, uh, 1917. But then this happened. This happened: the Battle of the Somme, and then Passion deal. And in the space of somewhat like nine months, nearly three quarters of a million British and Commonwealth men lost their lives on the battlefield. These were just two of the major battles. There were other major battles. Men were coming home maimed. Men were coming home just, well, you've seen it, shell shock, etc. It was a dreadful time, but the government had made absolutely no preparation for that at all. Now, as I say, women started moving into the workplaces. In 1916, you got conscription. And therefore, as men were conscripted into the army, they left gaping holes in industry. Women moved into the industry. By 1918, a million women were working in the armaments industry. By the end of the war, that's a million. Now, again, I use the term revolutionary because prior to the First World War, 49% of women in this area went into domestic servitude. And that was their role until they got married. They worked, and and bear this in mind, they worked two two weeks. uh, They they got paid five shillings a week, which is pretty peanuts. They lived in and they got a half a day off, a half a Sunday off, once a fortnight. Women moving into the factories were paid over two pounds a week. uh, Again, look at that. Uh, It was an incredible amount of money. And for the first time in history, working-class women had surplus money in their pocket. They could go out and do things. They could have their hair done. They could could do the things that men would be doing. They could could go into pubs. Prior to the, the, the First World War, women wouldn't go into pubs unchaperoned, or respectable women wouldn't go into pubs unchaperoned. Come the war, they started going in in groups. They were actually leaving work, drinking because of the, the, the licensing laws. I think the pubs shut at half past nine, and they were drinking the pubs dry. And that, and the men started getting a bit uh, uppity about this. But it was a change, in complete change in culture for for uh, for eighteen months. Now, women coming into the workplaces, women coming into the workplaces was supposedly temporary. Um, for the First World War in order just to help the economy they got half the wages of the men Uh, uh, again exploitation but there were there were a lot uh, there were a lot better off males football had been banned in 1915 so professional football was banned and and men's football generally was banned in 1915 that meant there was somewhere like 7,000 Professional footballers made redundant in 1915. Some of them enlisted, some of them enlisted into into, uh, troops together, etc. Some of them died, but some of them went into the workplaces. And it was in the workplaces where they were with the women that they would watch the women playing football at their bait time. Do you use the word bait here? So they would be having their lunch break or their bait time, and the women would be playing football. Now, in order to raise money for the, the, the widows and the orphans and, and, the, and, and uh, you know generally for the war effort, because the government failed to do that, uh, people would be putting on concerts in, um, in church halls, etc., or theatres. They would be standing collecting outside churches, outside theatres, outside cinemas. But you can only go to the same the same well once or twice because people didn't have the money. There was 20% inflation at the time. So somebody hit upon, we'll start playing football. So the women said, right, well, we're, we're happy about that. We'll start playing football, and they charged sixpence. This started happening spontaneously throughout the country. We can't say exactly where it started, but it started happening, it was sixpence ago, which today in today's terms is about £2.50. And, and people started turning up. Initially the games with the women uh, were games against wounded soldiers. You know, some of them only had one leg and they played on crutches. Played with the hands tied behind their back or, or that sort of thing. I don't know if goalkeepers did, but the, you know, the, the, that, that was, it was the sort of joke thing. There was obviously sexist remarks we've had instances of of the of games being played and and uh snowballs being thrown at the at the the women etc but they started playing football and what we got in in this area in this area is we got the the formation of women's football teams now the first game that we've we've got a record of in this (laughs) area is hawthorne leslie's shipyards on the Tyne of heaven uh they played the men and uh, the, women, the, the women won 6 2, by the way, which was a, a great victory for women. I think I'm a feminist, actually. Um, um, and the women won 6 2. Now, this is Walls End Slipway. And uh, I mean, look at they're, they're just incredible, these, uh, these women, you know. And they played uh, the Northeast Marine from Walls End again on February the 3rd, 1970. And that's the, in Walls End, and 2,000 people turned up. And that was the first record that we have in this area of two women's teams playing together. Now, the the Slipway there played Palmer's uh, Palmer's Shipyard, an all-women team, at Croft Park, which is the home of Blythe Spartans. And they played uh, to see who was the top dog in the area at that particular time. And they played at Croft Park. And uh, the women who were from Blythe Spartans... Who worked in the munition who worked in the munitions um, dumps, etc., in the in the Port of Blythe, very physical work, they went along and said, I fancy a bit of that. And they, despite working 12 hours a day, formed themselves into a team that played the Jack Tars, I'll come to that shortly, on August the 4th. And they were the top team. They were the main team in the area. Although these teams were brilliant. But they were attracting, in the course of the uh, in the course of the next 18 months, 10,000 people more. You know, Blythe Spartans had an average gate of 4,000 people turning up, and that was mostly people from their workplaces, families, friends, uh, uh, um, servicemen who were who were off but what was uh, who were off duty. But the, what we, what it was was a galvanization of the town. Now, Blythe Spartans. Football team is probably the best known in the, uh, amateur team in the world today. And it was a very big team back in the, back in the uh, pre-war era. Um, back in the pre-war era. Uh, especially, the, the big difference was, if you look, Walls End, Slipway, Engineer and uh, um, Northeast Marine uh, and Palmers, they were based on workplaces. Whereas Blythe Spartans, ladies, were based upon a football team they so were they were the Blythe Bly spartans women's football team basically they give Bly spartans give them the strips to use and they played as i say at, uh, at, at, at croft park so what we've seen is in history a huge cohort of women who would normally have gone into domestic service who would normally have been isolated moving into massive workplaces there was a hundred thousand uh, women worked at Woolwich Arms, uh, Arms, Arsenal. There were about seven or eight teams. And on the time, um, Armstrong's factory had about three or four teams, different workshops. The level of quality of the football at that time, obviously, some of it would have been pretty poor. We have to say that. But you got the rise of stars in that particular time as well. People who could actually play. And it wasn't all... It wasn't all... Um, A bed of roses. Many of these women were discriminated against. They were accused of defeminization. And especially the church really had a go at them because it it didn't conform to the norm of women. because being the role model of being domesticated of looking after men being baby baby machines one of the Blithe women actually left a, a, um, a wedding to go and play in one of the uh, football games and again you could see how women's football was absolutely on the rise women working-class women especially were coming out of the homes to uh, to watch these uh, to watch these uh, women playing football now throughout the region by, by mid-1917, uh, by August, September 1917, you started getting football in, in different areas. So Teesside and North Yorkshire, Skinningate, in uh, Middlesbrough, Hartlepool, Darlington, they all had uh, teams based on the industries. You had the Weir that played at Roker Park, uh, Sundance football ground, in different areas along the Weir. On Tyneside, you had a whole plethora of teams, and in the Thumbland, you had a number of teams. But the team that um, stood out there was Blythe, Blythe Spartans. There was there was discrimination against these women as well, which was wrong. But I haven't, again, I haven't got uh, time to go into it. But what was if you if you look, I've, I've made a note. This is. In this area, uh, you didn't have teams because the, uh, I you, obviously it was based on the mines. They may well have had teams, but they're, they're not recorded. We haven't got a recording of uh, any of these. But if you look here, walls End Slipway played Northeast Marine. These were the pioneers that I talked about earlier. They played at Bishop Auckland and 2,000 people attended in September 1917. Don't know where they played in Bishop Auckland. If we could find that out, any information, if, if you can add to any of this, it would be brilliant. Car uh, Rice Carr uh, of Darlington played Darling Railway Athletic on Octo- in October. They played at Crook. I know that's five miles away, but it shows that it's 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 they're trying to get in. That they're trying to bring this way of raising money for wartime charities, because that's what they did, they they were raising money for, there was no leagues, they were raising money for wartime charities, Browns of Hartlepool played Darlington, uh, Railway Athletic at West Cornforth, again 10 miles away, but as I said before, some of the football initially wasn't very good, but you started to get these stars coming, in the different locations, and you got compound teams playing, and Durham played in the Thumberland's, uh, on July the 22nd, 1918, and they played at Bishop Auckland in aid of the Jack Ben's Day, the Jack Tars, it's the Benz of the, the sailors, basically. And they played in, in Bishop Auckland. Again, we don't know we don't know how many turned up. We don't know where they played. But that's the only record we have. So, so this area was involved in the football that we know of. There might have been games, one-off games that have never been recorded um, or, or anything. But what made the northeast absolutely unique, all of these games were played for charity, to raise money for charity, um, where the government had failed. What was unique in this area is this. Now, i didn't put this on so you could see knees right i'm not asphyxiated with knees this is the this is the cup it's long gone we can't find it this is the alfred woods cup alfred wood was a, a sudden businessman and what he did was he he donated a cup which became known as the munitionettes cup and he wanted all of the teams in the region to play and and then find out who the best team in the region was now the region at that time had as I say 30 perhaps 40 teams 26 teams entered it now because of the wartime travel restrictions and difficulties remember these women were working in very hard manual work for 12 hours a day they had to go and train work together and then they had to go and travel so travel was kept to a minimum so what the alfred cup alfred wood cup was was that the teams from um the, the the south of the region Teesside so hartlepool darlington Middlesbrough, they played and north yorkshire they played each other and the teams from the north of the region the 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 weir the weir the tyne and the thumbland played each other and their top dog the best team would play each other in in the in the final again a unique uh, uh, there, was, there wasn't a cup anywhere else in the country there was a, there might have been a cup in in um, cumbria but this was the big one this was the one in which uh, the teams really competed and if you if you this is bella ray as i said players were coming to the forefront really uh, again you, you know look at the statistics at any level of football these statistics 133 goals in 30 matches. It doesn't matter what standard of football you're playing. If you can score that, it's incredible. She's the Alan Shearer of our day. We've got Alan uh, in the play, which I'll mention later. Uh, we've got Alan to do a to-camera piece. And I've, I've, I've written something for him to do for, because we're transferring to the Theatre Royal. I've written for him to say, you know, um, an incredible 133 goals in 30 matches. She was the Alan Shearer of that day, but I don't know whether Alan will, will do that. You know, he's uh, a, a bit modest in, in, in that way. But as I say, Black Spartans. Uh, they were getting 4,000. They had played 30 games. They got 4,000 to their games. They, you know, today, I mean, we work closely with Blythe. They only get about 6, 7, 800. In fact, South Shields, where I come from, you know, are, are one of the biggest supported teams locally in the local leagues, and they get about 2,200. 4,000 people turning up. I, you know, I'm laboring that simply because this was the impact women's football was having. <coughs> and this, is, this was a postcard just a phenomenal photograph isn't it i mean it's just great but this is the back of the postcard and we don't know if this is bella's writing but this was taken in 1917 when she that that she was 17 there right this was taken so 1917 bella ray age 17 she was born in 1900 Blythe Spartans ladies' team, and this is what I love, trained by the Navy lads whose boat was in Blythe Harbour. <laughs> what they used to do was they used to take their bait and go and play on the South, uh, the South Beach in Blythe, right? And these lads from the, uh, the Naval lads obviously thought, well, we'll, well, you know, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll, we'll go and get to know them. And they taught them how to play football, basically. Um, and they were the Jack Tars that I mentioned, you know, when they played in August and, 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 they, uh, uh, and they played there. And I just think, isn't it fantastic having a piece of writing from more than 100 years ago? How many of you have got any writing from your parents? Anything written from, how many from your grandparents? Not many, you know, a, a few. Isn't it wonderful? Because working class people didn't do that. They never, they, they didn't write the, the stuff down okay then so the the the, the supply so Spartans these women were the they, they lifted munitions munitions were coming from uh, from the battlefields the shells were coming from the battlefields they were manually in many cases lifted into in wagons that were taken to different areas uh, Newburn and Newcastle where the women who filled them filled the um, filled the shells with cordite turned yellow and their ways turned green because of the poisoning. There was no health and safety. And they became known as canaries, these women, because their skins turned yellow. And anyway, the, so, so the, the, the women from Blythe, after a hard day's graft of 12 hours doing that, trained, etc. And it's significant. We got this picture at the, at the um, Devil's Porridge Museum over in Gretna, well worth going over to say. It's about the First World War. These are all spent shells. Now, remember I said before that the, that, uh, remember I said before that about the shell crisis in 1915. In the first eight months of the war, only two million uh, artillery rounds were produced by British industry. That, again, that was before the shake up, before women came in. Look at this figure. By 1917, 1918, the British Army could fire up to one million shells a day. Now that brings back. I mean, you know, irrespective of what we think of war, etc., that comes back to what these fantastic women were doing, these million munitionette women were doing, with the miners, and with these women, the war effort was saved. They were. If you didn't have these women, Britain would. Well, you know, the the, the British army would have would have been uh, would have collapsed, uh, and and and. Well, Britain wouldn't have won the, inverted commas, won the war. Now, as I said before, you had Bella Ray up in the Thumblands, But in Teesside, you got this fantastic player called Winnie McKenna. Now, I've got to be dead careful here. Because once I did this talk, and, and when I said Winnie McKenna, people started laughing. And I thought, what's going on here? And it wasn't until afterwards I was told, I said, Winnie Mandela. So it's Winnie McKenna, okay. Uh, and she was the star. This is Winnie there. I mean, look at the determination and the steely determination on these faces. Uh, and she was from Bucklow Vaughan, and Bocklo Vaughan were the top team in Teeside, in this area, in the south of the region, and Bly Spartans were the top team in the in the north of the region. And they played the first final at St. James's Park. Uh, at St James's Park on March the 30th, 1918, 18,000 people turned up. 18,000. I remember going to St James's Park in the 70s and 80s, and there was only 9,000 people turning up. That is incredible. What it showed was the growth of women's football by the women who had saved the war effort. Now the game there was a nil-nil draw, so they had a replay at Ashton Park, Middlesbrough's ground. 22,000 people turned up to watch that match at the replay. Now, Blythe won 5-0. Bella Ray scored a hat trick But she wasn't... Can you imagine scoring a hat trick in a cup final in front of 22,000 people, but she wasn't playing the match? This woman was... Mary Lyons. Now, Mary, again, was incredible. I mean, she's 15 there. 15, right? And that's her winner's trophy there i presume from the the first cup I'll, again i'll explain why shortly mary lyon mary lyons she was born in 1902 she played for Palmer's. she were, apparently she was brilliant if anybody's ever heard of peter beardsley she was the peter beardsley of the of, of the of the day the, so the, so wayne rooney was the uh younger scorer nonsense this girl this woman Played for England. Age just fifteen or sixteen. Sorry, she played at St James's Park for England against Scotland, and she scored in England's three-two victory. It's been written out of history. Absolutely incredible. We can't. You, know, you can't understand why. Uh, simply because the, it's not. A, it, we don't write the history books, basically. Or if we do write the history books, they're not the ones that are taught in schools. But she was. Uh, she was phenomenal. Um, she was drafted in, she played for Palmer, she was drafted in to play as a ringer to play for Blythe and she scored a hat-trick. As we, as we saw there, by 1918, if you look at the date there, or, or, the, the, or the date of the cup final in May, May 1918, the war was coming to an end. Germany was looking for uh, peace feelers, sending out peace feelers. June, July, 10,000 uh, US troops were coming over to Britain each week in order to uh, reinforce what was happening in Europe. And the armistice was signed on in, in November 1918, thankfully, thankfully signed. But that changed the whole thing. That changed the whole social situation. What happened? These women who had been encouraged to play football, encouraged to come into the industries to help the war effort, were made redundant overnight because they were of no use anymore. The men were coming back. The men had to have the jobs. Women were made redundant. Bly Spartans uh, finished overnight, the women's. And and you know how difficult it is to keep a team running. Anybody who's been involved with any sort of club or a team to keep a football team running is particularly uh, expensive, especially if your company isn't sponsoring you anymore. But some teams did continue to exist and um, Mary Lyons' Jarrow team existed and kept going, and they were in the final of uh, the 1919 Munitionettes Cup. There was only two Munitionettes Cups I've I've, ever fought for. First one, 1918, Blythe won. In 1919, she was the captain of Palmer's. 16 years old. Uh, She drafted in Bella Ray, and... um, they won, the, they won the cup, they played uh, Browns Munitionettes of Hartlepool and they won 1-0 at St James's Park. Now, you'll have to see there that the figure was 9,000 who turned up. But that, again, was incredible. Bearing in mind, the country was in the middle of an international pandemic and 9,000 people still turned up to St James's Park. And the winning goal was scored by... <laughs> Bella Ray. Now that snow, by the way, right? That was that was in April. That was in that was in April 1919. That snow on the ground. I mean, yeah, we do, I had to double check. I I just thought there might have been a, a, a but there's actually footage of 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 the game. But if anybody wants to see this incredible uh, footage, email me and we'll and and I'll send you the link and you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to see it. Now, after the war was was finished then the women were thrown back into the workplace the domestic roles it's it's so that the story is it's heartbreaking basically first of all not one memorial not one was dedicated to the munitionettes the women who worked in industry in the first world war or played football any not one absolutely right that if you go out into the marketplace here you'll see the monuments to the men who died in the wars and, and and sacrificed but there's nothing to these women who many of whom died in explosions because of the cordite etc nothing they were written out of history absolutely written out of history the women who had saved the war effort weren't even allowed to vote in the 1918 election it wasn't the only the only people who were allowed to vote in the December 1918 election women were women over the age of 28 or who had, pro, who had pro, or 29 who had property relations or had the money the working class women who would save the war effort in 1914 to 18 weren't allowed to vote until 1928, when the um, the franchise came down to 21. I, again, the, the treatment of these women is 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 just it, it's dreadful, and it gets worse. It gets it gets worse because, as I said before, the minus uh, the the industry was nationalised during the First World War, and the, the pits. the the, the pits came back into private ownership in 1921 now during the first world war the miners had had gained because it was nationalized and because of the necessity they didn't take holidays they worked long hours down the pit but they gained some concessions they gained some wage rises and they gained concessions When the pits were returned to um, private ownership, the the bosses turned around and said a 40% wage cut and on meagre wages, by the way, uh, and uh, longer hours. There was a uh, there was a strike of miners in 1921, and it was it was a bitter strike for about four months. And what the women did was they resurrected the teams in the mining areas, and they played football. And the, the government didn't like this because the money went to the families of the miners and the the, the families of the miners the government didn't like it because it was he said it was political it was alright raising money for the incompetence in the First World War but to raise money political money uh, the, the Football Association did not like that uh, at all and there's a consequence, well that, that's the, the, the Palmer's victory uh, it's, a, it's a consequence as well of this team this was the Dick Kerr Ladies. These were formed in the uh, they were they were formed in the northwest uh, of of England in a, in, a, in the Dick Kerr factory. And these are the ones that get all of the all of the, um, the if if you like all of the publicity and quite rightly as well. But Blythe should and and the women footballers in this area should be getting the publicity as well. This is Lily Parr. She was she was like she was their uh, striker. She was their uh, Bella ray and these women remember we talked about the minor strike of, of 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 that took started to take place in april 1921 if we go back four, 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 four months or so to boxing day 1918 these girls these women the dick Kerr ladies played st helen's ladies at gutterson park in, that's the home of everton Fifty-three thousand people turned up, and thirteen thousand people were locked out. The FA, seeing this, losing control of football to women, and also to the politicisation in the during the minor strike, banned women's football on December the fifth, nineteen twenty-one. Absolute disgrace! It was one hundred percent control. They can, They can. They can write in the papers about how it was, uh, in the newspapers how football was bad for women. It, it affects them. It affects pregnant women. It's the jerky reactions that isn't good for a woman's constitution. One wag said, "Well, if it's jerky reactions, what does that mean about sex?" Uh, so you know the the whole top and bottom of it was that it was a sexist thing about women. It was it was it was aimed against uh, it was aimed against women. But these dickhead ladies. They continued to an exhibition football throughout the 20s and, and even in the 30s and they kept a bit of the flame alive but you needed the support of the Football Association to do that. Football wasn't unbanned until 1971. Remember when we showed the women with their short skirts and all that? That was the time of women's liberation. There was a, a movement again of women. It was a social movement that got women's football unbanned. And we've seen in 50 years the real development of women's, of women's football. It's incredible how women's football has, uh, has, has, has developed over the last 50 years. Did anybody watch the World Cup? I mean, some of the football in that was incredible. And there's still a long way to go, of course, but, but the problem we have is that the women who are playing today can't play in the same team as the men's because the FA won't allow women over the age of 15 to play in mixed, um, mixed games. Now, you know, I remember not so long ago, um, the Grand National, if you had a woman jockey, you could have a bet on whether she actually cleared... Cleared the cleared the circuit, and we've had a woman win the Grand National. It's nothing to do with the sex of the woman or uh, the sex of the of the athlete. It's all about attitudes. It's about opportunities, etc. And uh, so, so you know, I'm delighted at what's happening in, in women's in women's football. The Northeast has been the hotbed, and we, we hear about that. Unfortunately, we don't have a Premier League team at the moment. That might happen uh, with uh, with Newcastle. But I wrote the play about Bella Ray and women's football in the First World War, and it, it had a regional tour in March and April 2022. Uh, and these were the venues that we, we took it to. The, we, we did the Blythe Phoenix, sold out everywhere Blythe Phoenix, Hexham, Annick, South Shields, Whitley Bay. We had, to, the, 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 that's, the, we had to put two shows on at Whitley Bay, and that holds about 700. And we did the Newcastle Theatre Royal Studio. And that sold out very quickly and they've asked us to put it on in the main hall there uh, next year next April and we'll be going to London with uh, war Bella next so that's the um, you, you know I, I don't take any credit for for this this Patrick Brennan has done an incredible incredible research but we have in our own way added if you go to the website, you'll see the interviews we've done with the grandchildren of some of these people or to have an with with some of the people who had played football at that time they were reticent they didn't talk about because that's not what women did and they kept they, they, some of these people said we, we've got oh we've got oh, we've got our grandmother's uh, medal here but she never spoke about it and it isn't that sad isn't that really really sad but the, the we've got the the script uh, is there and, and we're selling that in order to fund us to go to the likes of the Theatre Royal, uh, to go to the likes of of, of London. And, you know, th- this, this is a particular interest of mine because what I do is um, I, I write about uh, uh, northeast stories that I really love, that people don't don't know of i wrote wrote the play with trev trev wood um about the west auckland team that won the first world cup in 1909 again that did really well transferred to the theater royal we've done plays about harry clasper mentioned before the rower, joe wilson who played here and was a superstar who was who sang keep your feet still geordie hinney and wrote another 200 odd, 300 uh, odd songs ned corvin you someone you might have heard of glenn mccrory uh you know boxer first boxer from the northeast to be a world champion and it was great working with glenn because i was actually working with someone who was still alive um mm. uh, so but but we've got the book of players there every penny goes towards helping our helping our uh helping our cause and it's just uh, you, you know again it's a, it's what i what i tried to do is bring these stories or what our team tried to do is bring these fantastic stories into the in into the public domain. The question I keep getting asked after our sport and I spoke at Belford the other day about this, the Cramlington train wreckers. Belford, up in the Thumbland, a tiny village, sixty people turned up. They came from Berwick and Wooler because of the interest in the subject matter has anybody heard of the Cramlington train wreckers? Well during the nineteen twenty-six general strike, the miners from Cramlington to stop a uh, scab coal took uh uh, took a bit of rail off the main line and it wasn't a scab coal train that was coming it was the flying scotsman and again that's what happened incredible story eight miners uh imprisoned for 48 years between them incredible story and and you know brings in the general strike etc and we're, we're we're doing lots of talks about that and we're getting huge audiences uh, we're speaking at um um south shield's west O miners next friday we've got 100 people bought tickets and it's it, it, we, we did it in in uh Kremlin. 200 people bought tickets and it's it's just what we try to do As i say it was we try to bring these stories and and i have to say thank you Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for coming here on a Saturday morning, because it's only because of people like yourself, coming along to the talks, coming along to the, um, the players when we've got them on, the likes at the Theatre Royal next uh, April, and buying the books that we can continue doing the work that we're doing. We're getting a dedicated work uh, we're getting a, a dedicated uh, website to the Cramlinton Train Records. We're, we're getting memorabilia. It's fantastic. We've got a BBC film. Um, called the Kremlin train records that was filmed in 1969 and shown in 1970 and it's never been seen since but we've got the exclusive rights to that incredible historical 30-minute film absolutely brilliant so as I say thank you for listening to me and I appreciate your support really do thank